Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jack Straw Writers Program. The kind of piece where you plod, pulling up broken plants, spread out their roots, roots to grasp the soil into place, making a foothold for peace. This program features the work of 2023 writer Carla Schaefer. In the first half, you'll hear her conversation with curator Priscilla Long, recorded in the Jack Straw studio. What is the work that you're planning for this particular Jack Straw year? Well, because I have these 2,500 more or less poems because of the everyday writing practice for 20 years or something, I think I'll end up with three themes. One related to family, and uh, those poems are interesting to me now that I've been rereading them the last couple of months in what they don't say. So there's a lot there that could be said. And I have to explore that pretty generously. Like, what don't they say? I don't think they reach very much into my feelings. My friend Bethany Reed, when she writes about her family, you know the family better. Mm-hmm. And when I write about family, I think you know me better. But I'm not sure that you have a very clear idea about each of the members of it. So um, that's one aspect of it. And then the whole natural world, just the way we live in the Pacific Northwest, is relevant to so many ways of knowing yourself and being in community or not, that that exploration, I think, is a section. And the other, although you did say to me to make two books. And the third... Well, that's an idea. (laughs) (laughs) And the third... um, or make one book with three sections. Yeah. yeah. I but mean, how would they relate? I don't know. So, and then the other is social justice, that those mm-hmm. issues, how to put them together in a way that becomes a coherent, engaging journey from the 60s to climate crisis and all of the worries that we have on our plate right now that must be addressed. So how many pumps do you have over a lifetime, do you have any idea? Well, I think it's about 2,500. My practice was to follow what William Stafford did, was to wake up every morning and to write before mm-hmm. I went to work because mm-hmm. I had jobs that were about writing but had nothing to do with poetry, really. And what were your jobs? Um, well, I was a teacher, and then I taught in the inner city in, oh, in Buffalo, New York. And then we came back, and there weren't too many teaching jobs in 1970, so I got a job at the Community Action Agency when President Johnson was fighting the war on poverty, and I became a community organizer, and I eventually became the director, and we organized um, uh, farm workers and set up the Chicano Cultural Center at that time. Can you talk about the relationship between 
political activism and social justice activism and art? I'll try. Part of my growing up was going to my dad with these really good ideas about what was the right thing to do, which I thought he might be able to use at church. <laughs> and he would say, Carla, these are really good ideas, but I don't think people are ready for them yet. <laughs> so I interpreted that to mean that it was okay for me to take a stand and to speak out, but then I had to find a way to do that. And poetry seemed like a really good way to do that. That Sometimes I think I'm more direct than a poem actually needs to be, and I have tried to soften that. But um, when I was writing the poem about fracking, I was trying to take the point of the view of the, the person who was doing the fracking, and I'm sitting there thinking, I know nothing about that. Mm -hmm. And... Immediately, I started writing without any real depth of thought. But it turned out I did know a lot about what it felt to be the earth and being broken into as a woman. And that has become a poem that... Um, it's a great poem. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah it's a really great poem. People really respond to it. And it's terrible how long fracking has been yeah, it's going on that that poem is still... <laughs> got a strong life. <laughs> so um, every issue in human experience that needs to be resolved in a different way, like the lives of farm workers, needs lots of voices. Farm workers' voices, yes, but also the people in support of farm workers to, to give insights and speak up. After my job at... Um, the Community Action Agency, we moved to Bellingham, and I worked for 10 years as the director of a low-income child care program. Mm -hmm. So got lots of information about parents and children and how we could all work together. And that mothers were all people in the struggle and their children were trying to be pulled up by their own bootstraps or even then. And um, after that job, I was hired to be the Lummi Campus Dean at Lummi Reservation at the Tribal College, Northwest mm -hmm. Indian College, and also went on to be their Dean for Development. So I got to do fundraising for the college for all the 16 tribes. And um, there we met Sherman Alexi and Joy Harjo and... Um, name somebody who's Native American. We probably had him on campus or her. Great. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and so the conversation among Native Americans was really rich uh, in a poetic sense, in a framing the... Well, and you get it from Rena Priest when she's gone around the state. Mm -hmm. When people ask her about the future, she had brought up what every... Lummi would say, and I'm guessing most Native Americans, it isn't about the future, it's remembering the past mm -hmm. and sticking to the lessons that have been learned. And I find that very exciting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and these whole times, were you writing poetry yes. all of this time? Then I was faithfully writing mm -hmm. poetry and reading it. Um, 
what kept me writing poetry and what turned me into a poet was I had a little collection of poems, maybe 20, and there was a group in Seattle, the Red Sky Poetry Theater, mm-hmm. that I'd heard about, and I thought, well, that would be interesting to go read, and I'd been to enough readings and watch people read, and I'd have confidence that... <laughs> Yours was at least <laughs> equal. <laughs> Some, the four-year-old is always there to stand up and say whatever's on her mind. So um, I went... And they were very kind to me, mm-hmm. and I was horrified that I felt so inadequate and insecure. And driving home the 90 miles from Seattle to Bellingham, I just had a catharsis, I guess, a discovery. And it said to myself, well, of course I can set up an open mic in Bellingham. There have been readings that were sponsored by the university, and there were community readings that were were really well attended, and there's lots of writers. So I just set up an open mic. That was the Chuckanut Sandstone. Yeah, the Chuckanut Sandstone and, and when, Writers Theater. Yeah, yeah. And when did you um, set? That's a wonderful reading series, as as we know, uh, <laughs> as everyone knows in Bellingham and in Seattle. Yes, and right. um, uh, when did you start the? Well, I haven't actually done the math very carefully, but um, about it, 1989. So oh it's been like 30-some years. Oh and my. But once I had a place to read and had 12 to 15 friends that wanted to come and or people that became friends to read, then, um, then it became just more of a systematic process of discovery and doing what what I felt, well, could be done. We have so many experiences, and mine in the natural world were feeding ideas and f- feelings erupting with a framework of the mountain and the water and the forests. Yeah, and that's <clears throat> another thing I wanted to ask you, um, because your poetry is full of imagery of the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. but the natural world, the trees, of the um, Salish Sea, and the salmon, and mm-hmm. all of that. Did you spend a lot of time out of doors, and do you now? Um, we had a canoe, and we had a sailboat. Actually, mm-hmm. we had two sailboats. <laughs> and we went hiking up in the Cascades, and... Um, Mostly we stuck to the North Cascades because that was what felt like home. Now we'll hear a selection from Carla's live reading. Sensations of Place and Time. Because my family has lived in the Northwest on stolen tribal lands since I was born, I listen to the bending of trees, follow paths of salmon, walk days, short in winter, long in summer. This is not the home of my ancestors. This is not Bohemia or Baden-Baden, It is not the Nebraska Plains nor the Kansas Prairies. 
I am not at the place my great-grandparents imagined. But their touches in my hand, their hopes carried in my heart, their steps are known, just as the salmon wiggles a fin and in the sway of a cedar bough. My grandsons living near speak Japanese, the language of their mother's family, celebrate Children's Day, and imagine beyond borders and boundaries. My daughter's child speaks Hindi and Urdu, the language of her father's family, celebrates Eid ul-Fitr. Their paths of succession move through hazards in shadows and light. They view the stars across generations who have danced on the same side of the moon. Their ancestors move in their steps, in the twinkle of their eyes, beneath the flight of peregrine falcons, above waters where orcas swim. Learning to be who we are, catch the heart off guard and blow it open, is a quote from Seamus Haney. When I held my grandson asleep in my arms, I remembered four things. First was myself as a baby, wrapped in the tender weight of sleep. I recalled the warmth of being held and feeling the rise and fall of my mother's breathing. Then my son, who came first in the circle of my arms, his eyes closed, his breath and even flow in and out. How watching him sleep, I learned about quiet and release, about trust, tangible, defining who I needed to be for him. How later my daughter would yawn turn her head when waking up, her eyes flickering open, little by little, in the nest of my arms, cozy and unquestioned a while longer, this peaceful time together, then our shared gaze before her smile. In such moments, my soul awakens, when the feathers fluff as the newborn soaks in Warmth as if from sunlight, awakens like a hatchling's first flight out of the shadows. Caught off guard, I lean into this temperate place, forever holding to the true self within me. <laughs> Memories for safekeeping. My mother next to me crying, telling me she was sad, but okay. My father's hands folded in prayer one day, the next down on his knees, fixing a flat tire. My kids' first strong kicks aimed the soccer ball for a pass when they were five, after they learned how to tie their shoestrings. Midnight in the barn, I pulled a lamb safely out of a struggling ewes uterus. A long walk up the mountain to the source of Sauk River and how it flows to the sea, filling its part of the ocean.
connections between us, fragile as snowflakes, persistent as breath, broken by war, restored by peace. So this poem comes about um, partly um, because of Claudia and her family's story, but a lot of other people's stories since then. I've led a pretty straightforward middle-class life up in Skagit County, and um, for me to imagine peace and bring it out in my life isn't particularly difficult. But I think this poem helped me understand what I was working for better. Come in peace, with your shoulders forward pressed onto the next moment, ready to wipe away what is mean, death-spirited, or evil, to shrug one into a better place. Come in peace, because your brothers and sisters fought in wars, your father stolen at night, your mother beaten to the ground. Come in peace when homemade or roadside bombs explode to flatten bodies, legs shattered, bones hanging by threads of flesh. Come in peace because customs officers tossed your plastic toothbrush, hand-tooled wallet, worn-out hoodie into the trash, and sent you to detention, shipped back to somewhere, not your home. Come in peace, no matter how distant the other holds you apart, makes you an enemy you've never been. New water rises into a future not yet lived. Smoke burning homes, vineyard and forest dissipates. When sudden quiet arrives, your heartbeat strengthens, pulsates evenly again. A recovery of sorts leads to senses engaged, opens you to acceptance and grace. Peace, shout it out, peace. Not a polite white-gloved peace, but the worker's glove, caked in mud. The kind of peace where you plod, pulling up broken plants, spread out their roots, roots to grasp the soil into place, making a foothold for peace. Ho rainforest memory. We embrace beneath a canopy of cedar limbs. We embrace beneath a canopy of cedar limbs. Strands of sunlight gild a rubric on still ground. Strands of sunlight gild a rubric on still ground. Sunlight beneath the rubric of we cedar gild. Limbs, a still canopy of strands embraced on ground. Touch presses heat between us where we lay. Touch presses heat between us where we lay, our bed among frail Indian pipes. 
our bed among frail Indian pipes. Heat presses among us and touch between Indian pipes where we lay our frail bed. You come a vaporous mantle breathed onto my skin. You come a vaporous mantle breathed onto my skin. Wrapping forest scent and you together in my arms. Wrapping forest scent and you together in my arms. My skin breathed together in you come the scent a mantle wrapping you vaporous onto my forest arms. Heat, the skin of Indian pipes, and we embrace in sunlight mantle where frail cedar wrapping a scent breathed onto vaporous arms beneath our bed. You gild among my limbs a rubric touch. Come, lay the forest canopy presses us still strands together on ground between my and you of we. Thank you, thank you. Sound Pages is a Jack Straw production, produced by Carlos Nieto and Daniel Gunther at Jack Straw Cultural Center. Our recording engineers are Daniel Gunther, Ayesha Ubiadelica, and Steve DeTori. Our theme music is by Brian Smith, produced through the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. The 2023 curator of this program is Priscilla Long, and the narrator for this podcast is Carlos Nieto. The Jack Straw Writers Program was inspired by an over-the-back fence conversation in 1996 between author Rebecca Brown and Jack Straw Executive Director Joan Rabinowitz. The program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, For Culture, Washington State Arts Commission, the U District Partnership, National Endowment for the Arts, Rainier Institute and Foundation, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology. You can subscribe to this and other Jack Straw podcasts through your favorite podcast app. To hear more episodes and learn about our other programs, visit us at jackstraw.org. <laughs>